0: You are listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And
1: now your host, Dr. Ward Bond.
0: Occasionally, the world produces one of those rare thinkers that alter the course of history. And one of those men was Leo Fender. He influenced every person on earth today at least everyone who has ever heard a song. And Guitar Player magazine declared that Clarence Leo Fender is the father of the solid body guitar. Not only did he invent it, but Leo's guitars were used by everyone from Elvis Presley to Eric Clapton and from Jimmy Page to Jimi Hendrix. And indeed, Rolling Stone magazine published a list of the world's top 100 guitarists and 90 of them used one of Leo's guitars on stage and the others used guitars that copied Leo's inventions and concepts. And think about this, the highest price ever spent on music memorabilia was not Michael Jackson's glove or Elvis's jumpsuit. It was for a Fender Stratocaster which sold for a staggering 2.7 million dollars. Well our guest today is Dr. Randall Bell and we're going to get a rare look into the world of Leo Fender, the quiet giant, heard around the world. So let's welcome to the show Dr. Randall Bell to the program. How are you doing?
1: I'm great Dr. Bond. It's an honor to talk to you. Thanks.
0: Well I get so many recording artists and I have a few of them where we literally start to talk shop about guitars and many of them mention the Fender Stratocaster. So how did you come to write a book about the man behind the most iconic guitar in music history?
1: Well, I grew up in Fullerton, California, two blocks from Leo Fender, so I had a little advantage there. <laughs> my, my dad worked for Fender um, and uh, our kitchen table, literally, my mom's 99 and still with us. The kitchen table is made out of uh, Stratocaster cutaway wood. And so it was, it was, in, the, uh, it was in the DNA from the, from the get-go. I ran into Mrs. Fender and I was shocked that nobody had written a book about Leo because he is what he is. And so we, uh, she, she, you know, I said, you know what? You meet me at Polly's Pie on Monday morning. Bring your son, whoever you want, and um, and we're going to sit down and write a book. And she didn't believe me, but she came to lunch anyway. And that's what we did at uh, Polly's Pie, right down the street from where the Fender Strat was invented.
0: Well, when did your friendship start with Leo and Phyllis?
1: Leo, I didn't know. I was a little kid during this whole time, and my dad was very explicit that Leo's very quiet, very private. You could say hello to him if you had something to say of, of value about the guitars. But in terms of asking for an autograph or a picture, that just wasn't Leo. My friendship with, with Mrs. Fender and the family started relatively recently uh, when I ran into her at the uh, Fullerton Museum, where there's a permanent Leo Fender collection there. Um, And and it kind of went from there.
0: Well, now, can you kind of walk us through about uh, Leo Fender's backstory? You know, what is he all about? Where did he come from? And what's some of his family history?
1: Yeah, well, Leo has a German background. His family, he was born literally in a barn down Harbor Boulevard in Fullerton. It was called Fullerton at the time. Orange County wasn't incorporated. It's just south of the uh, 91 freeway the uh, the farm to site now to today is a uh, uh, Anaheim Park it was annexed into the city of uh, Anaheim but Leo went to all the Fullerton uh, school systems uh, as as so did I um he went to Fullerton High School Fullerton College he actually got his degree in accounting and uh, he was he had a tough childhood a lot of people don't know that he had a, his eye out with a picket fence when he was a kid. He was about 8 or 10 or that age where he was on the uh, the farm truck and he fell off cleaning it up and hit a, his eye with a picket fence. And then later he was putting an amp together in his shop, uh, also on Harbor Boulevard, uh, and it blew out his hearing. So he couldn't hear without very strong hearing aids. So he had a tough background. He was really uh, a genius, but he was not flamboyant at all. He was a purist about what he was doing. you
0: know that, that's you know if we really think about that it's really kind of odd. So Leo was blind in one eye, had a glass mm-hmm. eye. Um, he was deaf or almost completely deaf in one ear and of all things an amplifier who would who would have thought and uh, and then his background was really accounting, but it, it's really, He almost falls in line with some of the people that I've heard about in the music industry. Not artists, but those that are like Leo, that have created, if it's a guitar, an amplifier, if it's mixers or whatever. They always seem to be to themselves, but they just focus on perfecting the very thing that they're working on. And was Leo
1: like that? Yes, he was very introverted, and um, I—you I, might have heard of the woman who ran the uh, pickups for everyone under the sun. She's very famous. I, I met her, and I—we had a long conversation, Mrs. Fender and I, and and she—and she said that she worked in the plant for three or four months uh, and thought Leo was part of the maintenance crew. She didn't. She didn't realize it was Leo Fender. And in the book, I have lots of—you know—I don't know about lots, but I got stories about how Leo was really very content just being in the background. So
0: was he always just sitting at his workbench? Was he considered a workaholic? And Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of stories did you hear, maybe from your father, on how Leo created the solid body guitar?
1: Well, what happened was, um, the the, the way Mrs. Fender explained it to me is that Leo couldn't join the army. World War II was happening. Everybody was rushing to, you know, fight for the country. And Leo, the army didn't want him because he had a glass eye and was deaf. So he would he would put his energy and his talents into setting up these bands or these these like uh, song festivals um, where people would come and buy war bonds and contribute to the war and, and enjoy music. Leo loved music. That was for sure. For primarily country western music and. Um, so he put this band together uh, down on uh, Commonwealth in Fullerton, and um, people came. and He had the lights and the amplifiers and everything for the singer and the horns and the drums. Everybody could hear all the instruments except for the poor guitarist. Em- Leo had a lot of empathy for people. He noticed that nobody could hear the guitar, and he had a radio shop down on on um, Harbor Boulevard, as I mentioned in Fullerton. He went down, carved out a piece of wood and amplified it. He had actually worked for Rickenbacker with with pickups made for steel lap guitars. Uh, Rickenbacker's down in uh, Santa Ana. He put uh, some uh, pickups in the solid body guitar and everybody laughed at him. They called them boat paddles. Nobody wanted them. He had them in his shop. He he rented them out. Then they just kind of magically caught on. Everybody wanted them and he couldn't keep up with the demand. He built a new plant over on Valencia Boulevard. So that's how it kind of all started. Well, you
0: know, it's, it's weird because here he creates a solid body guitar because back in the day, everything was hollow body, possibly semi hollow body, especially with a Rickenbacker uh, uh, back in those days. But, you know, it's it's probably a musician that probably started to figure out how to make a solid body guitar actually work. And that's probably
1: how it caught on. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think there are a lot of great minds kind of came together to make that happen. But Leo's the first guy, and I've had you know numerous debates of who invented the solid body guitar. And I'm I'm every other guitar had an acoustic component because the old thinking was that the acoustics amp you know enhanced the sound. Leo is the first to say you don't need the hollow aspect uh, of the of the guitar and made it solid body. But putting aside that that debate. Um, Leo, I think, deserves the credit for kind of the the lights went off, he went and designed it, he put it together. The the Fender Esquire, the first version of the Fender guitar, is essentially, not essentially, it is the Telecaster today. He did it right the first time. It didn't go through a lot of evolutions, um, and Leo deserves full credit for that.
0: So which actually designs does Leo get credit for? Of course, the Stratocaster, the Telecaster. Was there any of the other designs?
1: Well, those are the two big ones, and also the very first undisputed, Nobody Disputes, Leo Fender invented the first electric bass. Um, And all those designs are still iconic today. You know, you got to remember, Leo invented the electric guitar in the 1940s. It it came out in 1950. The Fender uh, Telecaster essentially is the same guitar we got today. The Strat is a different story. That's kind of a funny story. Leo was out in uh, Fullerton and he ran into a guy by the name of Freddie Travaris, who's a Hawaiian guy. Freddie's a really mellow, cool guy. He played for my sister's wedding. It just, the just somebody you instantly like because he's just so chill and mellow. Anyway, Leo ran into Freddie and Freddie um, said, Hey, Mr. Fender, there's some problems with your amplifiers, if you don't mind me showing you. And, and you know Leo perked up, because Leo didn't like Yes Men. Leo liked people that told him the way it was. And he flipped a, an amp on and turned it around and showed him some design flaws. And Leo said to Freddie, hey, have you got a, uh, a, a job? And he goes, yeah. And he says, well, good, you need to quit it because you're going to work for me on Monday. And the true story. So uh, Freddie went to work over on Raymond Avenue with with Leo and the very first day on the job, Freddie goes, "I got an idea for guitar." And Freddie and Leo sketched out what would become out the, become the Strat in uh, 1954, just four years after the Telly. So, and and the the business just kept exploding. Well, well, then, when
0: when did you know Leo start actually building amplifiers then?
1: Around the same time, Leo was really into radios and electronics back in the day when this was all kind of brand new. Radios was, was, was a relatively new thing. And so he was kind of on the cutting edge of technology. He kind of did it at the same time he was doing the guitars.
0: Well, let me ask you this, because your father worked for Fender Guitars. So yeah. what did your father do there?
1: My dad was a lot like Leo. He was very quiet, somewhat introverted. He was a mechanical engineer, which is essentially what Leo was. Leo um, left, uh, sold the company in 1965, but he had a 10-year contract. He was there till 75 as a consultant. And he was primarily doing kind of R&D stuff. And then Freddie Tavares took over that role. And then when Leo, t- or, or excuse me, when Freddie took off, my dad got the role. My dad was a- in R&D. And we would have a kind of a game at at dinner time because I would ask my dad, as you can tell, I'm kind of loud, and I would ask my dad, you know, who did you meet at work today? And he was very quiet about it. And I'd say, well, you know, of all and I would show him all my albums. I'd say, Who have you met? He goes, I met them all. I go, why don't you tell me? And he's like, that's just not how it works. (laughs) You know, and the rock stars love going to the Fender factory because they were treated like normal people, no autographs, no pictures. It was all about getting the right vibe for their instrument to get the sound out of them they wanted. There was a real philosophy behind it that that mu- mu- musicians, not magicians, musicians <laughs> are, are, are God's angels to create more music to make the world a better place. That was the philosophy that drove Fender.
0: I would absolutely believe that. Absolutely believe it. I mean, it's it's music that literally makes the world go around. But to think yep. about a man like Leo Fender, and then even your father taking over the R&D uh, at Fender, I mean, wow, what an honor. But to never come home and tell you who he met... Oh, that's just sacrilege right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was it was maddening because I, I I'm a Zeppelin fan and I I wanted to meet these guys so bad and he would uh, he only mentioned one name and I uh, he, and there was only one band he didn't like they got along with all of them uh, I'll just tell you it's kind of funny because it was the Rolling Stones they 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 were just so arrogant and and everybody in the plant was like golly these guys are need to get over themselves that's kind of funny because... Because I got an email one day from Keith Richards, who endorsed the book. I think he kind of mellowed out.
0: <laughs> well, you know that was funny because I was going to bring that up about Keith Richards because my gosh, everybody knows that he played the Fender. He still plays the the Fender yep. Tele. And but I saw a, a a clip of a video recently, and I want you to kind of maybe explain to everyone that Led Zepp's "Stairway to Heaven." Did not start out with a Les Paul.
1: Oh no, no! It started the the and and uh, Jimmy Page did not start out with a Les Paul. The first two albums were recorded on his uh, famous Dragon uh, Telly, and the and the lead for Stairway to Heaven is played on a Strat. So yeah, Fender Fenders everywhere. (laughs) You know
0: when I when I heard that Stairway to Heaven started out on a Strat, I was sitting there trying to think. Oh my gosh. You know, because when you listen, sometimes if you have a really keen ear, and I know it can get more difficult today with with the technology of production, but if you listen closely, you know, sometimes we sit around and wonder, okay, is that a Fender Strat? Is that a Les Paul? But then you have people like Paul Reed Smith that comes in and basically tries to copy both ends of the spectrum, to bring it in one guitar and you're thinking well maybe it's a PRS you know but uh, Fender started the whole thing I mean definitely Leo is a genius but it's not just the Strats and the Tellys but my gosh he's so he was he's so known about some of the most iconic Fender amps ever made and my goodness I mean look at Stevie Ray Vaughan for heaven's sakes
1: man what a
0: rig that was
1: yeah the, the, the whole thing is so fun. I love it. And, it, you know, it's an escape from the world. Uh, I I have a pretty massive guitar collection. I, I don't have the gift. I I just wish I did, because back in the day in high school, I mean, a lot of bands came out of Fulton and Anaheim, Berlin and uh, Social Distortion, all those guys that were in my high school. And, um, and so I had the hair. I had the guitars. I just didn't have the talent. But... I, I just admire those who do, and I lo- I just love the music.
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of people like you and I. You know, we have guitars, but we just don't have that talent to to actually sit there and, and play it like our mind wants to play it. And we admire so many of these people out there because, I mean, from Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, I mean, the list goes on and on. When it comes to stress, I mean, even today, you know, and I found it very interesting that Leo's favorite music was country. And at least in country music, you can still hear the guitars. You can still hear some guitar solos where I think that the guitar solo needs to be brought back in today's modern music because it's just something that's missing there.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And it's it's really, it's the, I can play covers and I presume you can too, but it's the composition. You know, uh, working on the book with Mrs. Fender, we've got invited backstage everywhere, country and rock. And I would sit backstage with some, I don't wanna, you know, blah, blah, blah about names. And I don't wanna share stories that I don't have permission to share. But these guys are geniuses. These men and women are are geniuses. I'll just share one of the women was was Nancy Wilson. And th- the composition is so mathematical. And a lot of these folks have an incredible music theory background. I mean, we're talking Juilliard kind of stuff. And um, it's just sheer genius. And I just admire it. I love it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so funny because <clears throat> I have interviewed so many guitar players. And I always ask them because I want to know where they're at when it comes to actual playing or how they learned you get those uh, men and women that can uh, learn to play by ear. I mean, my daughter is like that. She can listen to something and then pick it up and start playing it. Then you have those that can only play by tab. And then you have those that literally know music theory and literally know every note, every key on the fret board of a guitar and but all stages of the way someone learns to play guitar, to me, I just think it's astonishing, regardless on how they play or how they learned, just to play the instrument and just to let the creativity flow on on through the fingers, is just mind-boggling.
1: It it really is. It's like sitting in the room with a genius because I can get every note and every key, but I gotta look at the chart on the wall and take five minutes to figure it out. They do it in an instant and it's it's like uh you know, Rain Man. It's this crazy, <laughs> crazy smart stuff.
0: Well, yeah, and you know, were you shocked? Because uh, I know in my intro that uh, Fender Stratocaster sold for two point seven million. If I remember correctly, wasn't that wasn't that Eric Clapton's Strat that he played Laylon?
1: Uh, uh no the the top three, I'm going from memory now. Um the one that just happened since that statistic was written was was uh, Pink Floyd, uh David um David Gilmore? Gonna, yeah. His went for it was it's now the record keeper. The second one is the Woodstock strat that Hendricks played. It's in a Seattle up in uh, Washington. I've seen it. And then the third one was um was one that sold in Dubai, you know, signed by, by a bunch of rock stars that sold to some crazy rich, you know, oil people or some. Um, <laughs> but I think it's all top three of of music memorabilia are all Fender Strats, and then I think Michael Jackson Jackson's Club is way down the list.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's just amazing. You know, well with, with the guitars like the ones you mentioned, oh my gosh, Pink Floyd's David Gilmore. I mean, even his pickup I mean, even his pickups are custom made. Just for him. And of course, you can go out and buy the the David Gilmour pickups for a Strat or even a Tele for that matter. And then just to think about, you know, all the other artists. But with Leo Fender, um, were there any particular artists that he was amazed by uh, talent wise that actually played a Strat or a Tele?
1: Yeah, you know, Leo was not impressed with your fame. He was impressed with, I guess, two things. Your character. Were you a nice person? Were you a empathetic, nice person? And secondly, your ability to play. And he had a lot of empathy for 12-year-olds. I mean, it didn't matter where you were in the scale of things. It didn't matter. In writing the book, you know, people have reached out to me. I'm going to do a second edition of it with the stories that are coming in. But a guy reached out to me. He played. He's the lead guitarist for a company, a band called uh, the uh, Hollywood Hillbillies. They just played in Vegas. I just went and saw him. And uh, great guy. And and Leo came to him uh, after hearing him play in a club uh, down in Anaheim, and and gave him a guitar to try out. And then he would rotate guitars. And he loved this guy because he was. Uh, he's just a masterful guitar player. But it's all, Leo loved country-western. That, that's where, and, and you think about it, that's where that twangy sound came from, and Leo loved it. It was the guys later, like Hendrix, that went into rock, you know, that was invented from a country music platform.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the talent out there. You know, and one of the things I think that was a plus, and there were very few pluses when it came to the pandemic. I think one of the, the few pluses is that people sitting around in lockdown Guitar sales started to come back. And Boy, if no. you even spend enough time on Instagram, you are stunned to see nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds playing guitar almost like a master. And, you know, it's amazing how the age group just keeps getting lower and lower, but the talent just continues to grow. No. But we got to thank Leo Fender for that.
1: We do, and it's beautiful to see it. And as you were talking about the lead, you know, component, because we went into this wave of high tech, and where you could, you know, with a little bit of training, do the electronic programming in in all kinds of instruments, particularly keyboards, and get all kinds of crazy effects. I think we're getting back to the fundamentals, and playing lead is a craft. It's an art. It's really beautiful. I, I love, I love seeing exactly what you just uh, talked about.
0: You know. Yeah, because you know, therefore, the last uh, few years, the guitar industry uh, has been extremely worried about you know all of these kids today are sitting on their smartphones or sitting on video games. Does anybody want to learn how to play an instrument? And when I'm when I do interviews with a lot of uh, doctors and 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 health people, what? One, especially if we're talking about. Uh, Uh, brain development. Um, We're talking about kids in school. To me, one of the biggest things I like to push is to tell people, get your child, start learning music, learn, take piano, take guitar, because it literally creates brand new uh, brain pathways to improve memory. I actually uh, had the opportunity a few years ago, I went to Glenn Campbell's 80th birthday party. And of course, he wasn't there because he was dealing with uh, Alzheimer's. But the story that was told to me that towards the end, the very last thing that he lost was the ability to play. So his guitar playing through his whole career, that was the very thing that lasted much longer than just general memory. And even researchers were scratching their heads or thinking, okay, what is it about the power of music or the power to learn music to retain that talent? What's it doing to the brain that we can't see?
1: Wow, I love that. I may put that in the next version of uh, the next edition of Leo Fender the book. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a quote, a credit for that. That's,
0: that's brilliant. I, well, I, I can hook you up with the, direct, the with the uh, the absolute person you need to talk to about that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's one that's one of the things about guitar playing. You know, I tell people, I don't care how old you are. If you're over the age of fifty or the over age of sixty, and you're looking for a hobby or something to do. Learning to play an instrument will do more for you, brain health-wise, than anything you could ever imagine. And guitar, I love. I think I love even more so than piano, because you have to use your hands, you have to use your ears, you have to use your eyes, and you have to use some form of understanding and to gain knowledge. But, you know, guitar playing, as you and I know, when somebody picks it up and they stick with it, eventually... That light bulb comes on, and all of a sudden, it all comes together.
1: I, I, That's so masterfully spoken. What you said there, uh, I couldn't agree more. And I'm 62, and I, I, I got all kinds of guitars. I, you've inspired me to to get a teacher <laughs> and get, get back on the horse.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it, you know, I, I, for one, you know, believe that uh, it doesn't matter how old we are. We can still retain all of our faculties. We can still learn something brand new, but there is something with the power of music. And, you know, Leo Fender, you know, you know we think of Leo Fender, we think of Les Paul. You know, in the modern day, it'd be Paul Reed Smith and some other uh, <clears throat> guitar builders. But is it true with Leo that even in the Fullerton factory, that Leo actually built the workbenches himself?
1: Oh, yeah. I have that. My dad uh, was the last guy out of the building when they closed the the building at 500 South Raymond and they moved the plant to Corona, which, uh, you know, I have I have feelings about that decision, but it is what it is. But um, my dad was the last one out of the fender plant where it all really happened on Raymond. And Leo was paranoid that the company, he wasn't sure if it was really going to fly or not. So he had it all in module sections. And and then Leo complained endlessly about having to lock all the doors all the way around the building every night. My dad was the last one out, locked the doors and and left. And uh, uh, there was a point of telling that story, but I'm old and i have taken a tangent, I can't remember the question. (laughs) Wow, I mean,
0: you know, just, I mean, was it difficult for you as you were writing this book to really dive in and just into the mind of Leo Fender, and to think that he wasn't just building guitars, he was perfecting sound, but at the same time, he was also building amplifiers that made those guitars sing
1: for the whole world. Yeah, well, don't forget though, that Leo not only did Fender, but he also did G&L, and that company is still there in Fullerton, and G&L makes a beautiful guitar, I love love my G&L. And um, the, the CEO there, he let me, uh, he unlocked the door for me a, two or three times and let Mrs. Fender and I in to sit. They've preserved Leo's office and his workbench uh, as it as it was the day Leo passed away. Leo literally died putting on his shirt to go to work. He never retired. Retirement wasn't in his vocabulary. And uh, so I've sat in his workbench with an oscilloscope because he couldn't hear. He had to use oscilloscopes for everything. And he was inventing stuff to the very, literally to the very end. How old was Leo when he passed? Uh, He was, I should know that. He was in his 80s. I want to say 84, but I could be wrong. But uh, he was up there and uh, never wanted to retire.
0: Well, then, how did the transition happen? So you said that he sold Fender in 1965. Yeah. So what is the history of Fender guitar as a company from 65 to modern day. Can you kind of walk well, us through that history?
1: The, yeah, uh, 65, he sold it, but he's had a 10 year contract where he stayed on it as a consultant. And he sold it because he, he had a doctor that told him he was going to die from uh, uh, some strep disease, which he got cured. So I think he actually re- greatly regretted selling it. But nonetheless, he worked a Fender till 75. Um, my dad was there in the 70s and, and uh, early 70s. So they you know they, they overlap there. Um, and a lot of people give um, the whole CBS era a hard time. They don't realize that Freddie was there, Leo was there, my dad was there, all, all, all the machinery was there. Leo made a mistake with the three that you know the three plate you know back thing. That was Leo's mistake. It wasn't a CBS mistake. There's a lot of myth about that. Anyways, CBS made great guitars. Then the company got sold back to the employees, and then it transferred to, to Corona. Uh, I forget the year, but um, but and then Leo went off and started GNL, which is, as I say, still there today. And if you look at the uh, the bridge of the of the uh, GNL, it's a work of art. I mean, it's just a gorgeous work of art, um, and it's very functional. So Leo kept just kept inventing.
0: Well, when Leo invented the telly and invented the Strat. Throughout the years, was he looking at areas of those guitars to continue to perfect and make it better and better as time went on?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. He he never felt like he was done until about two weeks before he passed away. He told Mrs. Fender because uh, he he literally looked at this as his. Uh, you know, he wasn't a particularly religious person till the very end of his life, but um, in his eighties, I think he he. Um, Mrs. Fender was a Christian, and Mr. Fender became a Christian at the end of his life, but he felt like he was doing God's work. He literally felt that he was putting instruments into God's angels, who we call musicians, um, to create more music. That's what drove Leo Fender. Uh, Make no mistake about it, whether you are religious or not, that's what drove Mr. Fender. And, um, And so he was inventing literally up to about two weeks before he died, but he still was getting ready to go to work the day he died.
0: Wow, that is absolutely amazing. And just think, I would bet that every church in America, somebody is playing a Fender Strat, at least a Fender Strat. Maybe a few may have the telly, but definitely the Fender Strat. Now, when did the trademark on the design cease and then all of a sudden we would see a lot of these companies come out with their own fender
1: copies yeah i forget i think uh trademarks and pans last 18 years or something i i i used to own a pen. i know it expired that seems to come to mind maybe it's 21 years but but after a while you you know you got to give up the pans but the thing is the problem is is that the this the the game people play like people developing cell phones they're always kind of you know, holding back, they don't give it all to you at once because they realize the pad laws, you got to keep progressing and adding to it. Leo didn't do that. He just did it right the first time and that gave everybody the right to can copy it 20 years later and they, and they sure have, haven't they?
0: Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, I think there are some people out there that have actually put the Fender name on the headstock because once you hold a Strat, you know, you don't want to be looking like you're just holding a copy you want to make sure you're holding (laughs) the real deal. So, you know, kudos to, to Leo Fender for creating the most iconic guitar in the whole world. And Dr. Bell, where can people get the book and also learn more about the Leo Fender Museum exhibit? Well, let me start with
1: the museum. I, um, uh, long story short, I thought, you know what? I really want to honor this guy. this is uh this is a hero that we don't know enough about. He's um, a genius. He was not materialistic. I can tell you that. Um, and, uh, and and he just exemplifies, I think we all need heroes, at least I do. and And I really look up to the guy. I know my dad did too, and I look up to my dad. that, that generation is just greatness. So I started buying up a lot of guitars. I got a bunch of prototypes my dad gave to me. I have a prototype GL, I have a prototype Fender, um, and prototype amps uh, that my dad gave to me when I was a kid. And I've, um, anyway, I, I'm putting them all together. We're, we're gonna put a Leo Fender exhibit together. If you go to leofender.com, that's my domain. I'm gonna put it on there. The, fam, the Fender family has been very, I, I just love them. They're just been wonderful. They, uh, I'll tell you a quick, quick story. They gave me a, a mailbox that says Fender on it with a guitar on it, and it's a Gibson guitar. <laughs> and, and Leo never let Mrs. Fender put it out on the street. And it wasn't because it was a Gibson. It's just that he didn't want, he wanted to be incognito. He didn't want people to know that's where Leo Fender lived, but that's going in the museum. So uh, there'll be announcements on leofender.com as we go, I am hoping we get the display in public, um, next year. I just went to Nashville and bought Buck Owens Telecaster, the red, white, and blue uh, uh, telly that Buck Owens played on TV. And uh, and then the books everywhere, you know, go to Amazon or better yet, go to your local bookstore and just ask for Leo Fender. And uh, as I say, I'm working on a second edition and uh, I'm not sure when it's going to come out with all this COVID craziness, but it's going to come out.
0: You know, you kind of shocked me when you said that you bought uh, Buck Owens guitar. My daughter is a huge Buck Owens fan. She's a big Dwight Yoakam fan because Dwight always honors Buck and in, in a lot of the things that he does and sings. Uh, I know one thing, if Leo Fender's favorite music was country, I think that exhibit needs to sit at the Country Music Hall of Fame for a time so all the country music fans can really see where a lot of this music came from.
1: I, I love it. It's going to go everywhere, I'm sure. I was just out in Ohio and met with the folks of rock and roll. You know, Leo was in, you know inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I hope it goes everywhere. I I don't want to be one of these guys that collects stuff and hoards it and keeps it for myself. I want to share with the public because this is these are life lessons and and this is a great legacy that everybody needs to to enjoy.
0: Yeah, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. You need to read the book Leo Fender by Dr. Randall Bell and Phyllis Fender. And if any of you ever wonder what it takes to be great, the greatness is already inside you. Leo only had one eye. He had a glass eye. He was mostly deaf in one ear. And just think, he created one of the most iconic musical instruments in all the world. So whatever song you've ever heard on the radio, or on vinyl, on a cassette, a CD, and even now as a download on your iPhone, I can guarantee you, you know what a Fender Stratocaster sounds like. And Dr. Bell, before we go, I know that you are also a writer of other books. Can you share with us some of the subject matter that you write about and why?
1: Well, it, I'm a weird guy. What can I say? I, I, I wrote the book with Mrs. Fender, uh, you know, titled Leo Fender. I wrote a book called Me, We, Do, Be, which is done pretty well. It's uh, four building blocks of life. Uh, Me is our attitude, we is our relationships, do is what, you know, getting our career done and be is what we're becoming. And then I wrote a book, uh, the one, uh, the latest one out is called Post Traumatic Thriving. Um, And uh, it's about uh, my career, my real day job is I study disasters around the world and do economic studies on we just settled a case for 1.8 billion. I mean, they're they're big cases, big disasters. Um, but I met a lot of people behind the statistics and have followed their journey of how they went through the washing machine and then came out and did something amazing. Leo Fender's in the book because of his story for obvious reasons. So, um, and I wrote a textbook that is boring; nobody wants to read. But but I re- I like to write. I like to write stuff. Well, Dr. Bell, I can
0: tell you one thing: you and I are going to be talking more um because you have so many great subjects and i'm kind of interested in a couple of those that uh, you and i need to discuss so i'm going to need to get a couple of copies of those books so i can read up and we can do this again and for those of you out there watching right now and even listening you know and you would like to get a copy of leo fender the quiet giant heard around the world it's available on amazon and of course if you go into any bookstore all you need to ask for is leo fender again dr bell thank you so much for sharing the history and the story of leo and the Stratton and telly and so much more thank you so much
1: uh, anytime Bon. thank you so much appreciate hey, it you,
0: hey thank you and ladies and gentlemen you've got to stick with me because we'll be right back with more